covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. Welcome in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. I am your host. We've got a fun program coming up today, and it is a good evening for Brewers fans because we are recording this on Sunday night as we normally do, and Sunday marked the day that the Brewers completed a series sweep at Wrigley Field. First time they have swept the Cubs at Wrigley since May of 2002, and as we sit right now, the Brewers are within two games of first place, 19 games left in the season. It is going to be a fun final three weeks of the regular season, and we'll just see if the Brewers can sneak into the postseason. We'll tell you what's coming up on the program in just a moment, but a few formalities to get out of the way, as we always do. If you want to reach out to me, get in contact with me, the best way is Twitter, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. Uh, always appreciate anybody who follows me on Twitter, but if you tweet at me even without following me, I'll definitely uh, see it and uh, pay attention uh, to those things. You can also email me if you would like, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. Also, uh, if you listen to uh, the podcast, maybe on the WTMJ website uh, by following uh, the links on uh, the tweet that I send out, and a lot of folks uh, retweet it. I always appreciate people who retweet those tweets, by the way. That means uh, a lot to me. But if you uh, do possibly listen to uh, the podcast uh, on WTMJ.com, that's fine. But if you're somebody who uh, listens on uh, iTunes, the podcast app on your iPhone or on Stitch or whatever it might be, well, first off, if you don't and you want to do it that way, you can. We are uh, available on all those locations where you listen to podcasts. But uh, any time that you might have a chance to uh, give it a ranking or a review or whatever, uh, that goes a long way, trying to get uh, kind of up in the standings where more people might be able to find the podcast. So uh, more and more people have been leaving uh, reviews lately. I really appreciate that. I noticed that. And uh, if you want to join in on that, uh, I would appreciate that as well. All right, here's what's coming up on the program today in our social media conversation. We're going to be joined by uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee, Baseball Prospectus. Looking forward to uh, our conversation with him. We always touch on some uh, some kind of... Well, you know, we get all the basic stuff in, don't get me wrong, but we go uh, a little bit deeper sometimes uh, with him uh, because of all the numbers and everything that uh, they're able to put together over at Baseball Prospectus. So that's going to be coming up in just a while. And uh, unfortunately, the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, their season came to an end on Sunday afternoon. They lost uh, in the first round of the postseason in the Pacific Coast League. Three games to two, they fall to Memphis, but it was still a spectacular season for the Colorado Springs. Sky Sox uh, covering the playoffs for Brew Crew Ball in Colorado Springs. Uh, an old friend of mine, somebody that uh, I'm excited to be able to talk to, Joe Paisley, will join us on the program here in just a little while. Baseball can be funny. It just can be. Sometimes there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to something happening. Now that's in the short term. If you take a step back over a 162-game season, generally there is both rhyme and reason to things that happen. But when you look at a very small sample size, stuff happens, and it doesn't always make sense. And the last three weeks of Brewers baseball is a perfect example of that. Really, the last week of Brewers baseball is a perfect example of that. The Brewers in the last week sweep the Cubs in Chicago, but they do that after they get swept in Cincinnati against the Reds. And a team in the Reds that the Brewers had had a fair amount of success against this year up until that three-game series. And then when you you know back that truck up just a little bit more and go all the way back to the that West Coast road trip, They take two out of three at Colorado. Then they lose two out of three at San Francisco. Then they win two out of three against the Dodgers. So they take two out of three against the two playoff teams, uh, two of the three playoff teams from the National League West, and they lose to a team that's really struggling this year. Then they come back home. They split against St. Louis. That's fine. And they take three out of four against Washington. It's tough to take three out of four against anybody. They take three out of four against Washington, and then that's what leads in to uh, that Cincinnati series where they get swept. 
If you don't know, if you're not uh, specifically from the Milwaukee area, part of uh, what I do, uh, my kind of everyday uh, obligation, is I host the post-game show on the Brewers' flagship station, 620 WTMJ, which, by the way, is also called Brewers Extra Innings. Uh, shameless plug, especially for folks who maybe live out of the area. If you want to ever uh, hear the program, uh, you can listen to it online. The games don't stream online, but as the game wraps up and the network uh, post-game wraps up, the streaming comes back up and we take phone calls. We do a lot of things, uh, do player interviews, things like that. So we'd love for you to uh, join me on the program, and uh, you can listen online at WTMJ.com. Of course, people uh, across the state of Wisconsin, not just Milwaukee, can hear on uh, WTMJ the 50,000 watt blowtorch. But uh, I, I digress. The, the the a lot of the questions I'd been getting really throughout that Cincinnati series and then the Cubs series, I heard it all the time from people. Why do the Brewers have so much success against the good teams, and they struggle? against the not-so-good teams. That's they're, they're, From a very small sample size standpoint, sure, that's true, what I just outlined. They got swept in Cincinnati. They lose two out of three against San Francisco, all in a period where they're winning series against playoff teams like the Rockies, Dodgers, Nationals, and Cubs. But when you, when you really break it down a little bit more... <sighs> I don't feel like they especially struggle against bad teams. You know, prior to getting swept by Cincinnati, they were 9-4 and four against the Reds this year. Uh, the Mets are a bad team. They're 5-2 and two against the Mets. They've had their moments against Philly. They're three and three. That's not a that's not a great example. And and to the to the folks out there who really believe they struggle against the the lesser teams, their record against Pittsburgh uh, definitely would support that because they are just five and eight uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. And, and same thing with San Francisco, three and four against San Francisco. The the Pittsburgh thing. I don't think they match up well with the Pirates. In fact, they play the Pirates uh, this week at Miller Park, and it worries me a little bit. I don't think that's an especially good matchup. The one good thing is they played them in a two-game series in the last month, and they won both those games. And in that series, if you do anything less than win two out of three, that could be an issue. Um, that's uh, San Francisco is just a place, a place that this team seems to struggle. But I, I don't, I, I don't get the sense watching this team. That they, that they do struggle against lesser opponents. Now, some people have made the argument that that series against Cincinnati was a bit of a trap series. And maybe there's some truth to that. Because when you, again, everything we've talked about, with Cincinnati being in the same period of time of where you're playing the Cubs and Washington and St. Louis and the Dodgers and the Rockies, does that series get a little bit lost in the shuffle? Maybe. I mean, it's a young team. The Brewers are a very young team. And part of you know the great baseball players out there, the really fantastic baseball players out there, the thing that separates them from everybody else is they're able to show up to the ballpark every day and be ready to go. That's, you know, that, that may sound like a really simple thing, but let me tell you, it's not. A hundred, the, part of the challenge of baseball, and Craig Council mentions this all the time, part of the challenge of baseball is the the marathon aspect of it. 162 games essentially playing every single day. And you have to learn what you do to be able to prepare yourself for an everyday situation. And that takes time. And young players have a hard time with that. So maybe that was part of what happened at Cincinnati. Maybe it was young players who had a hard time being ready to go, you know, just being up every single game. And hopefully... Here, let me spin this for you. Hopefully, what that series in Cincinnati did going into the final 19 games of this regular season, hopefully what it did for this team was it gave them some uh, a tangible illustration of how you do have to be ready to play every single game, and you can't have a letdown no matter who you're playing because anybody can beat you on any given day. And may, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, they play, you look at the rest of the schedule, you look at the last 19 games, they're going to play six against the Pirates. The Pirates are arguably the most important team left on the schedule for the Brewers because they have the most games left against them. 
the three-game home series uh, coming up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a three-game series at Pittsburgh uh, on September 18th, 19th, and 20th. They have four games left against the Cubs. Those are all at home, September 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. They will play uh, three games at home against Cincinnati. Got to have more success there. They wrap up the regular season playing three at St. Louis, and uh, they also have a series that is scheduled to be played in Miami. We'll talk more about that in our headlines. But uh, after they're done with the home series against the Pirates, they will play three games uh, scheduled for Miami September 15th, 16th, and 17th. So people ask, why do they play poorly against the bad teams and well against the good teams? I don't completely agree with that statement, but when you look at it over the last three weeks of the season, it is true, based off their series losses to both Cincinnati and San Francisco, and I think the thing you have to do is you hope that that doesn't continue through the rest of the year, because outside of the Cubs and outside of the Cardinals, they're playing teams with below 500 records, so the job of the Brewers is to go out and indeed do their job. Again, on the program today, we're going to be joined by Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor over at BP Milwaukee. We're going to be joined by Joe Paisley. He covered the Brew, uh, the Sky Sox playoff run, the Brewers AAA affiliate, the Sky Sox playoff run uh, for uh, Brew Crew Ball. That's all coming up right here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. The top headline of the week is about the worst headline that the Brewers have had all season long. Jimmy Nelson, who many view as the number one pitcher for the Brewers, out for the year. He is going to miss the remainder of the season with a right rotator cuff strain and a partial anterior labrum tear. The decision is still being made as to whether or not he is going to need surgery or if they're going to try to rehab it. Either way, he's done for the rest of this year, and it sounds like uh, next year could be impacted as well. Jimmy Nelson was putting up flat-out incredible numbers this year for the Brewers. He had taken a major step forward. Nelson finishes with a 12-6 record, a 3.49 ERA, 199 strikeouts and 48 walks, and 175 and one-third innings pitched. And when you look at him from a league leader standpoint, he was 10th in the league in ERA at 3.49. Here's the guys who are on that list. Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Gio Gonzalez, Steven Strasburg, Robbie Ray, Lance Lynn, Zach Greinke, Carlos Martinez, Jake Arrieta, and Jimmy Nelson. Outside of Lance Lynn, who I don't think is spoken about that much nationally, and maybe maybe Robbie Ray, I, I, but Ray is more than Lynn. Those are all, every single guy I just mentioned is absolutely a household name. I don't have to say their first names for you to know what it is. Kershaw, Scherzer, Gonzalez, Strasburg, Grinke, Martinez, Arietta. Like, you know who these guys are. And there's Jimmy Nelson. He probably did not receive as much credit for what he was doing as he deserved. In fact, I saw a quote. Uh, Tom Hodricourt tweeted this out uh, on uh, Sunday evening. I saw a quote from Joe Madden, the manager of the Cubs, who said the Brewers pitching is not getting the credit that it deserves. It really stinks that Jimmy Nelson is out for the rest of the year. This is, this is the biggest challenge that the Brewers have for the rest of the season. How do you handle his absence? And I think there's a, a short term and a long term. And, you know, short term meaning the next few days, long term meaning the final three weeks of the season. Not much of a long term there with the Brewers. They don't need a fifth starter again until Wednesday. There's some options. Uh, one of the options is going back to Chase Anderson. Anderson uh, did not throw that many pitches his last time out. That was the game that the Brewers won big in Chicago, big, 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 uh, and they got him out of there a little bit early just to rest his arm, so he probably has a little bit more left in the tank uh, than generally, and so Chase Anderson is an option. I don't think Matt Garza is an option. I think I think the ship has sailed with Garza at this point, and the Brewers have not said that publicly, but I thought that his last outing was the make-or-break outing, that if he wanted to continue to be a member of the starting rotation, he had to perform well. And it kind of stunk for him because he didn't perform well, but a lot of the stuff that uh, that happened to him, it was soft contact. 
He he could have easily had a much better day based off that soft contact if it would have just been hit in some different places. It wasn't like he was getting rocked, but he put himself in that situation where an unlucky day, and whether there was some some you know unluck to it, where an unlucky day could essentially end your position in the starting rotation. And I think that's the case with Garza. I don't think they're going to go back to Garza at this point in time. They might go with a bullpen game coming up, uh, at least in the near term. Uh, next time they do need that fifth starter is coming up on Wednesday against Pittsburgh. They've had one bullpen game this year. Uh, that was with Brent Suter, who was going to pitch on Tuesday. He wasn't really stretched down his last time out. You hope he can go longer in his next start. He's now back to being a full-fledged member of this starting rotation. Uh, along with Brandon Woodruff, Zach Davies, and, and Chase Anderson. So they could go with a bullpen game, maybe anchored by Junior Guerra, let Guerra get the start. In each of his uh, two relief appearances, he has given up a home run, but uh, his split-finger pitch has been working pretty well. There's been some good moments to it, so maybe Guerra's the guy you start, and you know any sign of trouble, you go to the bullpen, that's an option. But David Stearns has said they're going to look outside the current uh, 25-man roster. And as we record this on Sunday night, None of these guys I'm about to mention have been added to the roster. Who knows? Maybe something's going to happen by the time you listen. But if you look to the AAA roster, and the AAA season is over now, uh, Taylor Youngman and even Aaron Wilkerson are both intriguing candidates. Youngman's been – we've seen Youngman, and he's had good moments and bad moments in Milwaukee. But he's been pretty darn good at AAA this year, at Colorado Springs. Something seemingly has clicked for him. Maybe he's earned that. Aaron Wilkerson had a great year at Double A. Came up to Triple A right at the end. Was part of the postseason run. And was good. You go acquire him last year uh, as part of that Aaron Hill trade, and now if you don't add him to the forty man roster, he's going to be exposed to somebody else. Maybe this is the time to figure out what you have in Aaron Wilkerson. If you look to the Double A level, you've got prospects like Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, who both had very good seasons this year. Uh, they were pitching at uh, at single A ball at one point this year, but maybe Peralta or Burns gets a start. You know, you're not going to have to use that fifth starter a lot. There's enough off days left in the year where you can essentially go with a four man rotation for a while. But when you come into that position where you need a fifth starter, those are essentially the options that you have uh, going into the year, or, or going into uh, going into that uh, the, that single game where you need the fifth starter, I should say. Uh, the series in Miami, it is uh, coming up here uh, on uh, next weekend, actually. That's going to be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. It is scheduled to be played in Miami. As we sit right now on Sunday night, Hurricane Irma is currently going through the state of Florida. And uh, a lot of people affected by that. The Brewers uh, have a lot of connections to the state of Florida. A lot of people uh, from Florida, a lot of uh, individuals have families in Florida. It seems like just about everybody is affected uh, by this. But uh, the that series in Miami, depending on what happens to that ballpark, there is a chance they won't be able to play that. Uh, there were some photos that were uh, coming out on Sunday night that showed that maybe the retractable roof there uh, in Miami had been damaged. So they're going to have to look at the damage. And if there's any major damage, they're not going to be able to play baseball there. Uh, I've heard uh, playing those games uh, in Phoenix at the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, ballpark would be a possibility. They would not move it to Miller Park, from what I understand. They would have to go to a neutral site. They're not going to grant the Brewers some uh, extra home games. But uh, the Diamondbacks uh, ballpark is one that I mentioned, or I've heard mentioned, uh, as a as a possible uh, place that they could play. Another one, and I, look, I, I haven't heard this. I haven't heard this at all. I'm just... I am really spitballing right here. but And I'll tell you why I'm kind of saying this. Uh, we saw a series involving the Yankees get moved uh, against the Rays, and they're going to play that at City Field. So they're going to play it in New York, but they're not going to play it at Yankee Stadium. So part of me wonders if it might make sense to uh, possibly move that series to Chicago. Not at Wrigley, but go uh, to, what is it, Guaranteed Rate Field now? What used to be uh, U.S. Uh, or cellular uh, U.S. cellular ballpark? Uh, the the White Sox are not at home this week, and don't know if they would be interested in hosting that. But uh, it would be somewhat close to Milwaukee, so one of the cities maybe that is something the Major League Baseball could think about. I don't know. I haven't. I, I'm the only person who's saying that is a possible option, but uh, you never know. We'll just have to see. Hopefully, in a perfect world. Uh, They'll play that game in Miami. Everything's going to be good. I think we can all hope that that series is played in Miami. The standings, obviously that is a huge headline. Uh, 
with the Brewers taking the series, sweeping the series from the Chicago Cubs. They have now moved within two games of the Cubs in the Central. Now, the Cardinals are playing some really good baseball as well. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, and they are tied with the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers do have the tiebreaker right now against the Cardinals because of head-to-head, but uh, currently the Brewers and Cardinals are two games back of the Cubs, and this is turning into one of the best races in baseball as it is a three-way race. All the divisions have been essentially decided. The only one that's a little bit of a race is the American League East, where the Red Sox lead the Yankees by three and a half games, but that's a two-team race. In the National League Central, you have three teams within two games, easily the best race in all of baseball. And then from a wild card standpoint, uh, the Dodgers are still really stinking. They've lost 10 in a row as we talk. So the Rockies uh, just took a series from the Dodgers. The Rockies have not been losing uh, as the Brewers fans have been wanting them to. But in the wild card race, the Rockies have the second wild card, and the Brewers and Cardinals both sit three games back. So right now, the Rockies, the Brewers, and the Cardinals are three teams. Go, You know what? Let's, let's phrase this a different way. The Cubs, Rockies, Brewers, and Cardinals are four teams going for two playoff spots. The Brewers, Cardinals, and Cubs can all get in via the division or via the wild card, while the Rockies' only route to get in is via the wild card. And that's how it's going to play out coming up over the next 19 games. And then a huge milestone over the weekend as well, as Ryan Braun hits his 300th home run of his career. And obviously, he has spent his entire career in Milwaukee, so all 300 of those home runs, they come in a Brewers uniform, which is special. And then how he hit the home run and when he hit the home run makes it even more special. It was a two-run home run in the top of the first inning in the series opener against the Cubs, and he and that was the only runs of that game. It ended up being a 2 nothing game. That was the game Jimmy Nelson got injured in. And that's how that series sweep got started. So congratulations to Ryan Braun. And pretty darn cool that uh, he gets to 300 this year. And if it's not going to be hit at Miller Park, what better place for him to hit it than Wrigley Field? After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. Very happy to welcome back onto the program. He is the editor over at BP Milwaukee. That is Baseball Prospectus. His name is uh, Nicholas Zettel. Nick, uh, appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing today? Right on, Matt. I couldn't be better today. <laughs> it That's is quite a great series here in Chicago. Absolutely. We're talking on Sunday night after the Brewers complete the series sweep of uh, of the Cubs. One of the things I especially enjoy about Baseball Prospectus is you guys use advanced numbers, but it's not it's not crazy. You know, there, there's still a real-life uh, application to it. You're not trying to go out there and say something that's not true just because numbers can prove it, and sometimes we see that in, uh, in baseball today. So let me start with this before we go any deeper. Can you explain beyond just the sentence, oh, it's baseball, can you explain uh, the Brewers getting swept in Cincinnati and then sweeping Chicago? Well, so I know a lot of fans are upset about that. You know, a lot of fans say, well, it's great that they swept the Cubs, but they shouldn't have been swept in Cincinnati. And there's one really interesting mathematical fact about that, and that um, if you assume that the Brewers are just about a 500 team on the road, which they are for the season. So let's say, um, let's say you make the assumption that their each road trip is going to match their overall record. So let's say for these six games, you would have expected them to go three and three. If, in fact, I bet if you told any fan before the road trip, the Brewers have a three and three road trip, they'd say, great, that's, that's fine. You need a 500 road trip right about now. Um, but what's funny, the sequencing of it, uh, by, by getting swept in Cincinnati and then sweeping the Cubs, that actually gets them the closest possible uh, distance to the division crown um, of any of their possible three and three scenarios. So this is actually like, it's a hilarious best case scenario of they went three and three on the road trip and they ended up two games behind the division, which would not have happened. Let's say they win two in Cincinnati and lose one in Wrigley or win one in Cincinnati 
and then win two at Wrigley, either way you're not two games back of the division at the end of that sequence. So um, my my joke response then is that Craig Council told the Brewers, let's lose three in Cincinnati and then just win them back in Wrigley, and that'll be our best way to the division. Now I know that didn't actually happen, but it's funny to think about it that way, that, that what a lot of fans are complaining about actually turned out to be a really great scenario for the division. Like if, if they had had just another sequence of games, we could be talking about them being three or four games back right now. Instead they're two. Um, but the other thing is um, the Brewers just have a phenomenal pitching staff and um, Wrigley field is kind of inching back up to be an offensive, um, an offensive park, for batters, and yet it's a little bit neutral for pitchers. So it's kind of a it's kind of a split ballpark right now. There's some weird things going on with it. I don't know if it has to do with the scoreboard being added and some of the the signage and reconfiguring the outfield. But the park is. I, I think the Brewers are made to play at Wrigley Field, and they have a great pitching staff. Their pitching staff is much better than the Cubs, and their pitching staff is about as good as the Cubs' offense is good. So I think. Um, I know the bats kind of broke out in a big way on Saturday, but this series is more about the pitching in my mind because they just they totally shut down the Cubs' bats. The, the they were they were a listless offensive team the whole series. The Cubs were, um, so I think that's what you ended up seeing is this was the Brewers kind of really sh- flexing their muscle as a great pitching team, and they just they neutralized great hitters. The a big part of the pitching recently for the Brewers has been Jimmy Nelson. And the bad news over the last few days is he's going to be done for the rest of the year. He's essentially been your number one pitcher. Uh, you, you can argue for Zach Davies. You can argue a little bit for Chase Anderson, especially before the injury. But basically, Jimmy Nelson's been that top of the rotation guy for yeah. for much of the season. Uh, does How does this team go about making up for the loss of him? Well... Um, I'm, I'm super bummed about the Nelson injury. That's just, it, it really stinks because you can't understate how great of a job he did for the Brewers. He, you could say he kind of did like a Ben Sheets thing in a way where he worked through his first few MLB seasons on bad teams and, um, or a little bit. And he, he kind of worked through some mechanical issues. And I think she had a couple of rough years before he really broke out and the same kind of happened with Nelson this year so you want to kind of see it's actually great to see his breakout winning and and you have to say one of the reasons the Brewers are winning is because Nelson broke out um but that said I don't want to underplay the injury but given that this happened during September the roster's up uh you know the roster's expanded to the 40 men I think this is the best time of the season to deal with an injury like this. Now, granted, that means, that shouldn't be taken to mean that it's not an important injury because it is. But the difference now is Craig Council has enough pitchers to string together a couple of Johnny Holstaff days if he wants to. He can put together matchups. So um, he, there's a chance with a deeper bullpen. You could even have a bullpen game if you really needed to. Um, you could start. You could quote unquote start Josh Hader if the matchup is right. You could start Junior Guerra and, you know, basically give each of these guys a really short turn, let them face the lineup once and kind of push them through. Um, I saw them do that in person against the Cincinnati Reds on that, uh, or sorry, against the Washington Nationals on that uh, Sunday getaway day where they did the, the Johnny Hole staff. And I think they could do that again. They have a good enough pitching staff that you might just see four or five guys. I think that we may see that happen on Wednesday, the next time they need a number five starter. And there's enough off days that they're not going to need a number five starter that many times. If it eventually gets to a point where maybe they they want to give a guy who's not on the team right now a chance to start a game, people have talked about uh, Taylor Youngman, people have talked about Aaron Wilkerson, even from AA, people have talked about Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns. Uh, of those four guys mm-hmm. that I just mentioned, would you like to see, in, in the middle of a pennant race, would you like to see any of those guys come up and uh, get an opportunity to start a game? Oh, 100% I would. I would love to see any of those guys. And I think, 
I know fans always say things like, oh, I'd want to see a rookie during a pennant race or something like that, but you have to remember that in a pitching rotation, guys have guys have good and bad days all the time. So you could theoretically say, even if you have all five of your starters lined up, you know, they can lay a they can lay a stinker every now and then, just have a really bad start. So I don't think we should scrutinize too much and say, oh, you can't bring up a rookie in this situation. Because um, the fact of the matter is, if you find, let's say there's more of a righty-heavy team, uh, someone like Freddie Peralta's um, strike zone command, uh, he, he kind of moves the fastball three or four different ways. He's going to be one of these guys like Zach Davies, who throws about six or seven pitches when it's all said and done and lives around the edges of the strike zone. It'll be really interesting to watch him, but he might be someone that you say, you know what, maybe he can take on a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates. You never know. Um, so I think one thing the Brewers have done great so far, um, and I don't know if this goes all the way top down to council, but they seem to really stress the matchup. They, they will do one or two weird things, like, for instance, Johnny VR in um, – in center field or the Johnny Holstaff day um, against the Nationals, they will do one or two things um, just to get a matchup if they think it can work. So I, I would say I, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those guys came up if they think they can get a good matchup. I know in the advanced metrics world, the the raw statistics sometimes that you know the baseball card statistics are, are downplayed a little bit. But Zach Davies has 17 wins. He leads baseball. He's in front of you know Zach Greinke and, and Clayton Kershaw, who have 16 each. How impressed are you just with the fact that Davies has been able to win uh, 17 games as we talk on September 10th? I think it's great. I think you're. They're going to have fans who just kind of poo-poo that, but I guarantee you that Davies isn't doing it, and I guarantee you the Milwaukee Brewers aren't either. That's going to be something, even with the advanced metrics, that's going to build up his payday. Um, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe he has Scott Boris as his, as his agent. So that sort of thing is going to, he's going to get every dollar out of those wins that he can. So that's a huge deal. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely happy for him. I think he's a guy that, you, you questioned when he came up. You said, you know what, this can be a low-rotation guy. He's going to be a back-end starter. He's not going to be an ace, but he's going to be a guy that, if he can answer a couple questions about his command and his ability to adjust, he could stick in the rotation, even despite his size. And I think the wins right now are reflecting that he has a great team supporting him. He gets great offensive support, and he's gotten pretty good bullpen support, as far as I understand it. So... Uh, but he's also really pitched phenomenally over his last 14 or 15 starts. So he, I think he deserves every ounce of praise you can give him. And if you want to, if you want to point out the wins, I think that's something that even as a lot of advanced statistics, uh, people aren't really going to, aren't really going to put their weight behind that metric. You, you can't underestimate it's important. He'll get a, he'll get a great payday because of that. Um, for instance. So, it's a it's a pretty important thing, and it is. I think it's great. It's just great to see a Milwaukee Brewer uh, atop any category that you can talk about. So anyone who's looking at those stats, you know, you got to talk about. Hey, why is this guy from the Milwaukee Brewers on top? So I think I think that's fantastic. He does have Scott Boris as an agent. The only reason I remember that is because remember last year uh, the Brewers played the service time game with them with there at uh, the All Star oh, break yeah. and sent them down to AAA and that got Boris all up in arms about it. So at least last year at the All Star break, uh, Boris was his agent. That's very true. Yeah, and uh, ironically, those uh, I think those his performance this year will make up for those ten days of service time. I, I thought that was an interesting thing. We could have a whole different conversation about that practice. But uh but I think uh Zach Davies will get that money back and more. Yeah, I think that's uh I think that's a pretty safe bet. Uh this team offensively has has really struggled for most of the post All Star break portion of the year. Uh, they hit a lot of home runs in the first half. The home run numbers are down a bit. When they hit home runs, they tend to win games. Uh, the big scoring game against uh, the Cubs was a little bit different. Uh, not only one home run, a lot more line drives, finding the way, uh, you know, finding holes. And, and then even on Sunday's game, that first run that they scored, you had Braun getting a base hit, uh, stealing second. Uh, uh, he had, uh, I think, uh, I think he scored on an RBI ground out, if I remember correctly. So they manufactured mm-hmm. that run. 
Are we seeing the Brewers here in the final month try to find other ways to score runs? I mean, obviously they want to score runs, but uh, as the offense has struggled a bit, do you think they're going to maybe do some different things uh, depending on the day to, to, to try to really produce some runs? So I think that's a really good question because I think what you're seeing is that, yes, I, I'm inclined to say the offense will definitely change. And the reason is, is uh, think about that game. You're getting into what the, that um, I was out and about. I was listening to the game at the time. So it's about third or fourth inning, I think, where they tied it up. And um, I mean, that's Craig Council. He's got to win a ball game. You could argue that this was a game that the Brewers had to win. There's no... There's really not a future for them winning the division if they get out of Wrigley four games behind. Um, so I think when you're down one nothing in that situation, you got to play it like you got to play it like that just to just to get get in that game and tie it. So um, I'm not surprised. Uh, the WGN guys, uh, I was listening to the WGN feed down here because the Packers were on uh, six twenty, so I couldn't get it. But um, the the Cubs announcers were very very confused about that but i didn't think it was that confusing because that's the brewers had to win this game so i think they needed to scratch that run across and they did it um that said i don't i don't like the small ball versus big ball debate because i think what you have to look at is the actual traits of the team and i think what you're seeing is the brewers have a really aggressive team more than anything they're aggressive and they're also kind of they kind of grind for plate discipline. I know they're they're kind of working on their walks lately. That was the other great thing you saw on uh, on Saturday is they just walked a ton. They were supremely patient, and so I think they're going to keep grinding out to try and get their pitch to drive. But in the meantime, um, you're going to see a little hit and run. I think uh, Council Council sent Orlando Arcia during one of their outs, and uh, her, uh, Hernan Perez was was running when he, he got picked off, but he was, he was ready to run. And, uh, Arcia tried to, he did a great steal, but, um, was just beaten by a great throw. So I think you're going to see this, this team has speed for days. Um, they're just, I think they're ready to be aggressive and they will try and win any way they need to. With the Jimmy Nelson injury, quite honestly, the guy who probably gets as much more pressure on him to perform than anybody is Brandon Woodruff, who essentially moves into that, that number three spot in the rotation if you want to number out the, the spots and, and who's where. Uh, you had a nice piece here uh, very recently uh, in the last week about uh, really breaking down Brandon Woodruff. And his story is interesting because he's a guy who wasn't really viewed as a top prospect coming up, and he, he played his way into one of the elite prospects in the organization and an organization that's one of the best minor league organizations uh, in all of baseball. What what are your expectations for what we'll see from Woodruff, uh, specifically the rest of this year? I think um, the rest of this year, you're going to look for Brandon Woodruff to adjust in the strike zone. Um, and if you want to do a direct comparison, look at Zach Davies' first September up with the Brewers. I think that was in 2015 uh, when Zach Davies came up and he had he had um, a couple of starts where he did one approach and then completely flipped it. Um, he, he really tried to change his strike zone approach. And right now, Brandon Woodruff is, um, he's doing a couple of really specific things with his slider and changeup. He's throwing them um, to very, very specific and I'm not going to say predictable, but he's throwing them like, uh, the changeup is only going arm side, and the slider is only going to the glove side, which is which means that it's breaking away from right-handed batters. So he's doing two very specific things with those off-speed pitches, and um, he's kind of he's doing a great job splitting the zone with his fastball. He's throwing his fastball kind of uh, to two low quadrants. So what you're going to look for is for him to maybe work his fastball up a little bit more at times to to change the eye level away from the low zone. And I think you're going to look for him to try and get that slider to backdoor on, um, like to go maybe to break off of like inside on a right-handed batter and kind of catch the plate. He's got to work that slider to another area. Um, so he, there's going to be a couple of really specific things he can do with his approach. And, um, 
it's just that's going to be his game because he's you you said it he he came up as a guy that surprised a lot of people with his statistics he had a great minor league performance but he's not known as an elite prospect kind of because of that total stuff in command package so he's going to be a guy that even though he has harder stuff than Davies you're really going to have to look for him to make those adjustments so this is going to be his first chance to really show that he can adjust at the big league level and um keep changing that strike zone approach to keep batters off balance. So it's, I, I can't wait to watch it. I really like Brendan Woodruff a lot, and he he kind of goes with this team's M.O., that they have tons of depth guys. They don't have a lot of – they don't really have anyone that you would call an ace, but I kind of love that because you're just going to have – it's going to be next man up, next man up, next man up, all the way through the rotation. So uh, I think that's going to work out pretty great. You led me right into your next question because you wrote a couple pieces recently talking about aces and whether or not aces exist. I'm going to read uh, one sentence from one of your uh, one of your recent pieces, and people can read it for themselves uh, over at bpmilwaukee.com. Uh, but uh, you you write quote. Aces do not exist in the sense that from a scouting profile, the grade is so rare as to basically be obsolete within the minor leagues in the sense of performance. It is categorically true that few pitchers can be great, especially consistently so. So in this, and the the headline of each of your pieces was uh, Aces do not exist, and uh, there was some conversation with uh, Kyle Esneski, who we have uh, on the program a lot, well, works for you guys and also runs uh, Brew Crew Ball. Talk about Junior Garrett, especially last year and what he did and then being the opening day starter this year. Can you talk to me a little bit about uh, the idea of aces not existing, and, and does that specifically speak to not being able to project someone as an ace based off their, their minor league performance, or really it's something that continues into the big leagues, and there's so few pitchers that can do everything you need to do to really be an ace and then also do it consistently the way a, a Clayton Kershaw or someone like that has done? Right. I think um, I'm going to just say yes and yes to your questions. You summed up <laughs> perfectly. I think that was my my exact argument. And it, it, I, if I can defend the piece a little bit, I think some people got a little bit upset. Um, there were some people who said, well, like, what do you mean? Of course, there's aces. There's like Clayton Kershaw or something or Zach Greinke. Um, but to my mind, those are like, those are the exceptions that prove the rule. You know what I mean? Like you say, oh, okay, well, then just go ahead and develop more Clayton Kershaws, right? <laughs> Um, it's just, I think what fans, where, where if fans want to gain some insight on this, look at the pitchers that pitch multiple years in a row. And what you'll end up finding is that there's so much variability in terms of even like how you adjust your strike zone approach, how you, your stuff works from year to year, and then how your statistical performance results each year. Um, it's mind-blowing how much the same pitcher can vary from year to year. Um, I found the average variance for pitchers who work consecutive years in the National League, and I was working with six years of data to prove this, um, you're talking any given pitcher is going to swap out maybe like 50 or so innings every year and then about 12 runs prevented any year. So you're basically talking, you know, this guy's going to be worth one more win or one fewer win every like every other year if he's a consistent pitcher. So you end up, um, I'd, I'd like Bruce fans specifically to think about guys like Giovanni Gallardo as the in-between then. So like, even when, when Gallardo went on his tear in 2009, 2010, and then 11 and 12, that was his four consecutive fantastic seasons. Um, I don't think anyone called him an ace, really. Everyone would say, like, Gallardo's not an ace, but he's the next guy down. You know, he's a really great number two pitcher. And that should even show how rare it is that when he worked those consistent seasons all in a row, that's, that's incredibly rare. So what I just mean is that you just don't see consistency from pitchers on a year-in-year-out basis. It's just extremely hard to stay healthy. It's extremely hard to adjust to the strike zone. And then even if you are doing things great, your defense could shift on you or you're like, you, you could have other team circumstances that don't go the right way. So um, I think that's where you want to look at something like the Brewers depth in their system as a really important thing. So they're going to be able to, I, I think the argument you can make is they're going to be able to withstand 
that variability. And so the fact that they don't have an ace, really not problematic because you're going to have so many guys that could potentially come up and be serviceable um, to deal with any variance between starters. All right, let me finish you off with this. Uh, the Brewers, as we talk sure. on Sunday night, uh, two games back in the NL Central. Uh, they're now three games back of the Rockies in the second wild card. In the Central, you're, you're, even what they just did against with the Cubs, I feel like people would think the Cubs are a more talented team than the Rockies. Maybe that's incorrect. But what right now as it sits, what do you feel like they've got a better chance at uh, grabbing, the NL Central or that second NL wild card? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the division. They have they have I think four more games against the Cubs if I'm not mistaken. So they're um, I think they're ready for uh, um, their chance to directly impact their destiny. So they just got to keep winning. And uh, I'm looking at the schedule now, and it's going to be that uh, you got that September 21st through September 24th series against the Cubs at Miller Park circled on your calendar. That's going to be that's going to be everything right there. And, uh, I, I mean, they could, I think they could catch the Rockies because the Rockies are kind of up and down right now. They're a young team, kind of like the Brewers. So there's a chance that the Brewers could catch them just by, you know, you got two young teams going in different directions, maybe. Um, like maybe someone goes, gets real hot, someone gets real cold. But I like, I like the Brewers' chances of directly impacting their own destiny with, um, with those games against the Cubs. Um, they might not end up getting there ultimately, but I think I, I got to be honest with you. It looks like the Cubs don't want anything to do with the Brewers. Yeah. They're they looked they looked listless today, um, and you know they tried all these mind games with altering the schedule. They tried all the, and the Brewers have just hammered them for that. So it just seems like the Cubs are looking for that second World Series victory lap already. You know they want that parade. They want. They, they want those pitching matchups already set against the Washington Nationals or whatever, whoever they're going to play in the playoffs. And I think they, for some reason, they're just overlooking the Brewers. So I, I can't wait to see the Brewers take them on again. They, again, like the, the Cubs might end up beating them, but I think now that you're talking 19 to play and two games out of the division, just go get that division title. It, look, there's a. Uh, this sounds funny because it's technically one game, but there's a difference between two back and three back. Like I, when you're two back, you're a you're a two game winning streak and a two game losing streak back. Three, two and three seems like all the difference in the world to me. Am I crazy on that? No, not whatsoever. I mean, think about it. That's. I mean, if it was if it was still June, I, you would obviously say you know that's no difference. But like. We're talking. You got you got only about three weeks left in the season. You need you need every game right now that you can get. I mean, there's really. I would even say there's no such thing as a win win now or must win for the Brewers. Like it's just basically they they kind of have to win every single game they can. I mean, that's kind of dumb. Like of course they of course they do. But yeah, it's like that. Just imagine if they lost today, they're four back. There's. And you say, how do you come back from four back with 19 to play? You know. Yeah. So now, now they can. Um, I mean, look at it. If they just hold tight for for another 10 days or so, a three and one series at Miller Park against the Cubs gets them tied for the division going into the stretch run. So they're uh, it's kind of in their own hands to win it if they want it. So that's really exciting. BP Milwaukee is the website and the Twitter account for that matter, but bpmilwaukee.com. If folks check out the website, what do you guys have going on and what's going to be uh, coming up here uh, over this next month or next 19 games as the Brewers make a run for the postseason? So I think we're just we're just holding tight. I don't know that we know what what to do even because who, <laughs> who expected the Brewers to be in this position. So I was – you know, I'm thinking of um, getting. I, I'm trying to think about some off-season programming and uh, things like that, like to get some really good content series going, and uh, just kind of holding tight right now. So I imagine um, we got a great series recap going. Um, Kyle Lesniewski is going to be um, summing up the um, summing up the uh, some like season-ending prospect stuff. So it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see how our coverage goes along with this like improbable playoff run. So, uh, I guess to answer your question, I don't know. We'll it, we'll see what the Brewers decide to do. So, it's going to be exciting. 
He is uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee. Nick, it's always great to talk to you. These are fun conversations. Thanks so much for your time. Right on. Thanks a lot, Matt. I really appreciate it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. And uh, this is a treat for me. I've, I talk about it all the time here uh, on the program. You might be sick of me talking about it at this point that prior to uh, my move to Milwaukee, I was working in Colorado Springs. I was one of the broadcasters for the Sky Sox. Something I don't talk about quite as often is in addition to that, I did a bunch of other things, including hosting a uh, daily talk show uh, in the afternoon. And uh, every week we got to interview this guy on the daily talk show, and I don't think I've even talked to him since then, but we're bringing him on right now, and it's a treat for me. His name is uh, Joe Paisley, and uh, he was covering the Sky Sox playoff series for uh, Brew Crew Ball. He joins us right now after the Sky Sox season comes to an end on Sunday afternoon. Joe, it is great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, you know, it's uh, you know, now that I'm home after, uh, you know, it's obviously some downtrodden folks at the Security Service Field in Colorado Springs, you know, they're pretty sad about it. But, you know, really it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been uh, fun to watch a, a team that, uh, you know, first off makes the playoffs for the first time you know, in 20 years, the Sky Sox, and, and you know, now in the third year of the Brewers organization. It was just a real uh, real pleasure to get to, to watch this team this weekend because it really showed, I think, the difference uh, between the Brewers organization and their approach to developing winners and a winning culture versus what the uh, uh, Colorado Rockies did for so many for so many years with the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. So from a pure uh, sports writer perspective, you want to go in to a, you know, go to a game where you know the team you're covering really, really cares about getting a win, and, and that was something that Rick Sweet established right away with the Brewers, uh, with the Brewers affiliation, and then uh, proved to be a real pleasure. And we got a little bit of the payoff this this year with uh, with the first uh, you know playoff games in uh, 20 years, and uh, ultimately some pretty exciting, high scoring, exciting baseball that uh, fans really enjoyed. The Memphis Redbirds end up winning the series three games to two. It was 1-1 after the two games in Memphis and some relatively low-scoring game. And then the this games, excuse me, the series completely changes when it gets to Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs wins game three, 16-15. And then Memphis gets uh, an 11-8 win in game number four and a 13-10 win in game number five. So of the three games in Colorado Springs, five of the six scoring outputs from teams uh, are in are in double figures what was it like watching this series where I mean I was in Colorado Springs for six years I know runs can score at a high rate but to see three straight games like that that's a little bit unique yeah it was you know but if I was really a sign of uh, of teams that were you know basically pitching staffs are really uh really being tested and worn down a bit frankly and then I think it really showed uh Showed in that sixteen to fifteen game, we had thirteen different pitchers go up. Eight of them were Sky Sox, and and I thought that game really uh, proved important down the stretch here. You know, and now in Game Five today, uh, or excuse me, Game Four and then Game Five, uh, you know, there were some you know there were some tired arms on, on both both sides, uh, but the Sky Sox especially, and I think that showed uh, in that tenth inning loss on Saturday night. You know, Willie Peralta was in there, and he you know he was struggling in the end. They didn't make a move to replace him because they knew, you know, the arms just weren't there. They weren't available, and so that was something that that, you know, that kind of high-scoring uh, games really uh, proved telling. I think really the depth of both teams, and you know, the Redbirds uh, can't, you know, had a franchise record 91 wins during the regular season. They showed they just had a little more depth than the Sky Sox, who uh, had 80 wins during the regular season. And I think ultimately that ended up being the difference was just that that kind of depth. And pitching, and then uh, that showed with the uh, home run ball. I mean, Memphis ended up with uh, uh, nine home runs in five games in the series, and Colorado Springs surprisingly with just four. And it was it was the home run, especially the four today, uh, and then Game Five that proved decisive. It's the nature of the beast, but the Sky Sox did lose a lot of players right at September to go up to the big leagues and help the Brewers uh, with their playoff run. Lost some pitching, lost Brett Phillips, uh, some catching as well. Uh, was that uh, how much do you feel like the 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 Brewers call ups affected the Sky Sox in the postseason? Well, it really showed again. Yeah, you know, like you said, the pitching they lost, and, and I don't 
and the field players, not as much. I don't think it was as glaring that the thing is where, oh, as you know, pitching in the, in the PCL is just such a, <laughs> such a tough, tough deal, especially at the altitude you're playing at in Colorado Springs at 6,500 feet of the ball sails. And, uh, you know, and then when you have a, <laughs> and, you know, for instance, on Friday night when we had that kind of altitude in the 16 15 game, and then you had a, uh, rather tight strike zone, uh, it was really, <laughs> Really a double whammy for the pitchers, and that just sort of continued the, the next games as well. So, uh, yeah, I think the depth, especially in the pitching, really showed and that proved telling, but, um, it did give guys opportunities to show what they can do. And I think what has been great to watch about the Sky Sox in the last couple of years is, is, is a, uh, you know, a, a willingness to battle to the very end. There's no, no pulling up in the ninth inning you're down. Oh, hey, we're right. we're down. We're down. Uh, you know, we're down thirteen to seven. You know, I'll you know, maybe we should just you know relax a little bit and cruise and go into the go. You know, go end our season and go into the into uh, into our break. But uh, uh, they didn't do that today. They they came back and they battled back, got four runs with two outs, and that was really indicative of, of the mentality the Sky Sox, uh, the team, and, and the Brewers organization with affiliation has has brought to Colorado Springs. And I and I, I just can't say enough how. Uh, how happy I am to see that kind of thing, and really uh, grateful that <laughs> grateful to have that kind of uh, that kind of mentality brought into brought into the organization and, and brought into the Colorado Springs for you know one more year at least. Chris uh, Colabella was somebody who joined the team midway through the year. And- he just has a huge postseason. He hits four twenty nine. He drives in uh, seven runs, which was amongst the uh, the league leaders so far in the PCL postseason. Uh, what did this guy bring to the team, especially at a point where you, know, you didn't have Lewis Brinson anymore, you didn't have Brett Phillips anymore? As those guys were gone, what did he mean for the Sky Sox? Yeah, I think he really stabilized. You know, gave them gave them the hitter that they needed to uh, really sort of help that help them. When they're putting together, you know, the the, the bat, you know, the nine, the eight batters and the pitcher, you know, really gave uh, Rick Sweet some flexibility in where he could put him, and, and he gave him, you know, gave him a bat, you know, guy, a guy out there that I think could really deliver. Um, uh, Taylor Heineman, uh, I thought, also had a really nice series. He had two home runs out of the four for Colorado Springs, including the two two run in the ninth inning today. Uh, I thought he showed a lot. In fact, I, he did a really nice job on Saturday night. Uh, got a great. Uh, Really a really nice job catching Garcia. I think it was Jose Adalas Garcia, uh, caught him stealing at second base and then followed that up with a uh, moonshot home run in the next half inning. And I thought he had a really strong series, but, uh, yeah, Colabello, I thought really showed, um, showed a lot and really contributed quite a bit and gave Rick Sweet a much needed weapon, uh, at the plate. We're talking right now with uh, Brew Crew Ball contributor uh, Joe Paisley, who's based out of Colorado Springs and uh, covered the Sky Sox playoff series against uh, Memphis. You can follow Joe if you'd like on Twitter at Paisley Hockey. The uh, the hockey is in reference to uh, his fine work for many, many years for the Colorado Springs uh, Gazette covering uh, Colorado College Hockey and College Hockey uh, overall, but still uh, saw him a lot at Security Service Field over all my years there, so a uh, good baseball guy as well. Uh, Yadiel Rivera, Kyle Wren, as with Sits right now are one and two in the PCL postseason in batting average. Rivera five twenty four. Wren is at five hundred. Uh, Joe R- Rivera is a guy who's gotten some chances at the big league level over the last couple of years and uh, hasn't been able to stick around. Kyle Wren still waiting for for that first opportunity. How important do you think it is for those guys to be able to finish off this year as, as well as they did playing in the postseason and, and putting up those good numbers? Yeah, I think it was really good for both of them to get that this kind of experience. Um, you know, like the getting put, the opportunity to get playoff experience is is not that you know it just doesn't happen every year, obviously. And so it was really, I think, a great opportunity for them to show how they could play in in more pressure situations. And I think both of them did a really nice job. Uh, Kyle Rand, I thought, really, really stood out to me. Rivera was a little more quiet uh, in what he did, but what he did was was just as valuable. And you know, batting in the uh, number eight spot. All weekend, that's how he did a really nice job of setting the table for the you know for the top four guys, and uh, he did a nice job, I think, there at playing the role he did as as the kind of hitter he is. But Ren, I think, really uh, really stood out to me. He hit he hit for he hit for average. He also hit you know also hit for power, some really nice stuff, and he was very uh, dangerous on the base base times as well. And that that really I think um, helped uh, you know when you're trying to you know, squeeze out as many runs as you can because you're having such high scoring affairs. I had that kind of base running threat. 
out there in Colorado was, uh, I think, a real real boost for uh, and a real you know, real bear for the uh, Memphis pitching staff to deal with. I know Aaron Wilkerson's uh, appearance in this uh, in this uh, postseason was on the road in Memphis, but that being said, pitched with the Sky Sox a lot last year. Spent this year at Double A, had a really good year, and then came up to the Sky Sox and and performed well. Right now, the Brewers are looking for a number five starter because of uh, Jimmy Nelson's injury, and uh, some people have mentioned Aaron Wilkerson's name. Is this a guy that the Brewers should be looking at? A guy who maybe could contribute uh, at the major league level? Yeah, absolutely. I, what he was able to do, and I know I'm listening to it on the radio, like you know, the thing I was here in Colorado Springs, but what he was able to do and uh, was I thought really, really quite impressive, and, and I don't see. I don't see anyone else on the AAA side down here who would be able to step in and contribute like he could. And, uh, you know, right now he's, his momentum is on his side. He's just pitching very well and coming off the performance at Memphis where, you know, with a shut, the only shutout, the first shutout in Sky Sox postseason history, uh, certainly deserves an opportunity. No question about that. What was the, uh, you know, so long in Colorado Springs without the playoffs, and they finally go this year. What was the fan response? Uh, was it was it good crowds? Were the crowds into it? Uh, talk to me a little bit about the environment uh, at Security Service Field during these playoff games. It was a good environment. In fact, they ended up with the uh, you know they ended up with the number two you know the second best uh, postseason crowd at thirty five hundred people on Friday night. Uh, that was pretty impressive when you think about Friday night football and how you know just about everyone who normally goes to Sky Sox games has you know either has a child you know maybe has a child or some connection to high school football that night, and uh, yet they still came out to watch the game and uh, yeah and the folks who were out there were very much very excited uh, great great crowds uh, good job with the chanting uh, you know chanting Sky Sox at the right times and just and showing I thought some good support. Um, yeah, he had he had twenty five hundred on Saturday night, and you know that that's a little bit smaller too. But as you know, that's about normal for Colorado Springs crowds. And uh, I think overall, it proved to be a, a pretty nice atmosphere. Uh, there was a fairly good sized Memphis contingent that was pretty noisy as well, and so it made for a made for a good atmosphere. And I think, and uh, yeah, and I know for a fact the players appreciate that that kind of atmosphere. It just added to. You know, I thought some some nice intensity. I think that sixteen to fifteen game was, uh, despite the score, actually was a very intensely played game, and it really showed in both in the way the crowd reacted to everything and how the players performed. So yeah, it was. A, I think it was overall a good fan experience, and also I think a good experience for the players to have that kind of have that kind of intensity coming from the crowd, which is which is a little unusual here in Colorado Springs, you know. I'm talking to you on Sunday night, and I haven't seen anything, and the game's only been over for what, a couple hours or so uh, now, but any rumblings after the game about any members from the Sky Sox roster that uh, were going to be heading uh, to uh, to Milwaukee next? Yeah, nothing I can really, you know, nothing I can really say, but I do think, um, I do think Wilkerson is going to be on his way, and I do think uh, Ivan De Jesus is another guy that I think showed enough and has, you know, I think he showed some stuff. I think uh, Kyle Wren certainly earned an opportunity. Uh, I think Rivera might get another shot. Um, and uh, I, you know, depending on what, what 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 the Brewers need, you know better than I do because uh, they don't cover them. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the, the kind of playoff performance some of these guys showed and line them in as well certainly has to get their attention. You want to have guys who are, who perform under pressure situations, and you know Rivera, Ren, Heineman, uh, these are all guys that uh, I think showed uh, the kind of makeup they have, and and that's what's great I think for the experience these guys had playing, you know. Playoffs last year in Double A, in some cases, and now playing in Triple A playoffs. Uh, that's good experience for these guys, and I think it really, again, going back to harping back to the old topic, the topic I talked about, you know, establishing a winning culture, establishing guys that know how to win in pressure situations, and they showed that, uh, well, you know, two times out of five, I guess, but but they, they definitely picked up some valuable experience. That I think could help a team that's battling for the wild card and uh, the division as well. Again, you can uh, read Joe's coverage of the Sky Sox playoff run over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. Follow Joe on Twitter, at Paisley Hockey. Joe, great to uh, catch up with you again, and hopefully uh, we get to do this again down the line. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That was a lot of fun, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you helping connect me at Brew Crew Ball. And, and uh, you know, thank, thank, good luck to all the Brewers, uh, the Brewers fans in Milwaukee, and uh, hopefully uh, – 
hopefully some things will be pretty exciting, and uh, we'll see how things go. But thanks again for your time. I appreciate it so much. That was Joe Paisley uh, writing for Brew Crew Ball here over the last uh, few days covering the AAA Colorado Springs Sky Sox run through the postseason, which unfortunately, again, comes to an end. But what a run for them. Kind of a special place in my heart, having spent so much time there. Never got to broadcast a Colorado Springs playoff game. I'm a little uh, jealous of uh, Dan Karcher and Dan Atchison, the current broadcast team uh, with the Sky Sox, that they got to do that. But nonetheless, I uh, watched from afar and certainly enjoyed uh, what was going on all right what's up next for the brewers as they return home starting on monday for a three-game series against pittsburgh they will uh, start brandon woodruff on monday brent Suter on tuesday right now the rotation has four guys in it chase anderson zach davies brandon woodruff and brent Suter. they have to figure out who that fifth guy is that fifth guy is going to be used on wednesday Maybe Chase Anderson comes back on short rest, then it technically wouldn't be a fifth guy. Maybe they go with a uh, a bullpen kind of game. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, we will find out by the time you're listening to this. We might already know, but uh, that is something that's going to be big. The game times uh, for this series uh, against the Pirates, they will play uh, 6.40 on Monday and Tuesday and then 7.10 on Wednesday. You can, of course, uh, listen to those games on WTMJ uh, in Milwaukee and across the Brewers radio network. Monday and Tuesday will be a 6.05 start uh, for the broadcast, and then on Wednesday it will be a 6.35 start. The team will enjoy an off day on Thursday, and then they are scheduled to go to Miami on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And as we talked about earlier, we'll see if they're able to play those games in Miami or not, or if they potentially get moved to some type of neutral site coming up uh, over the course of uh, the weekend. Some sort of decision on that should be made relatively quickly. Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest? Maybe, yeah, Wednesday at the latest, I would think. Uh, probably Tuesday, they'll probably go look at the ballpark, and you know they should be able to make the decision right away uh, whether it makes sense to play there if they can, if there's any structural damage, and we hope there's not. And also just from a kind of a social standpoint and having games in the city, we know what it meant for the city of Houston to get the Astros back there and for the Texans playing over the weekend, and very hopeful that the Marlins will be able to host those games coming up this weekend. That's it fun show this week i really uh, enjoyed it i hope you did as well again if you ever want to get in contact with me you can tweet at me matt Polly radio is the twitter handle you can email me matt.pauly at wtmj.com and if you can leave a uh, a review for uh the podcast always appreciate that if you listen on itunes thanks again to our guest today nicholas zettel from bp milwaukee and also joe paisley we will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.